First Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 16. Now this is the word of the Lord. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promises for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, it's good to be here. Um, if you are new, if you are visiting, uh, we want to welcome you uh, to our church. And after service, we would love to get to know you and to meet with you. Uh, first, before I begin, I want to thank the church for your prayers and uh, your support. Uh, for the past week, a small team from our ministry uh, we were able to visit the Reformed Church in Myanmar, formerly Burma. And uh, for the past week, we've had the great privilege of ministering to and alongside the churches there. Uh, this has been our fourth trip in as many years. And uh, as a result of our consistent ongoing mission work, we were able to forge uh, real relationships, real friendships and as a result, gain a better understanding of how we can partner alongside the denomination. Now, uh, while the team, we were able to do a lot of great things. We helped them out in many ways. Um, you can just ask Edwin or Joe after service. You can speak with Eunice uh, as to the ministry that she engaged in. Uh, EJ or um, Hisu, you can speak with them as well. Uh, while we were able to do a lot of great things, um, the most important thing was that we um, forged meaningful relationships. Uh, the nature of short-term missions is not just to do a lot of things, um, but it's the people. And so we value people over programs, uh, results over, or relationships over results. And so we are thankful for that. Um, and you know, when we go back next year, we, you know, it'd be great if, um, more of our church can come and just see what God is doing uh, over there. So thank you once again. Uh, let me uh, pray before we um, look at God's word from 1 Timothy 4. 
Oh God, we thank you so much uh, for your call, your commission to go forth and make disciples of all nations. We thank you that you've included uh, the churches in your plan and that the church is your plan. And so we thank you that you've allowed us to partner and fellowship with churches throughout the world. And God, we pray, Lord, for the strengthening of faith uh, in our brothers and sisters in Myanmar. And we pray as we gather here this morning to worship you, that your word would speak powerfully once again to our parched souls. Refresh us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you know, oh, sorry, I forgot something. Let me... <laughs> All right, uh, we're continuing in our series in 1 Timothy, and um, let me just share this question. This, this is the big question that plagued the minds of the first century Christians. Christians in the church were asking this question, how is the church going to continue after Jesus and the apostles, right? Now that Jesus, Paul, Peter, all of these people are no longer with us, what are we going to do? Who is going to lead us? Well, the New Testament makes clear that there isn't going to be uh, another founder or visionary like Jesus. No, the New Testament tells us his work is complete and finished. The New Testament also tells us that there isn't going to be more apostles that are sent. Their work in writing the New Testament and laying the foundations is also finished. Instead, to continue the work of the church, to build on the foundations laid by Christ and the apostles, God grants, and according to Ephesians 4.11, he gives to the church pastors. Now, this might sound like a little bit of a letdown, right? Oh, we don't get apostles, we get pastors. But if you follow along, it actually isn't. God's gift to the church to continue gospel ministry, the gift of pastors, is not a letdown. Pastors are, according to the New Testament, the right gift given to the church. Now, what we find in today's passage in 1 Timothy 4 is Paul laying out the job description of a pastor. As the leadership is passed on from apostle to pastor, Paul is saying, this is what your job ought to be. Now, as we go through this passage, some of you might find it strange. Hearing a sermon about the job description of a pastor, some of you might be thinking, wait, why are you telling me what your job is? Well, I want you to know that 1 Timothy, even though this is a personal letter written from Paul to Timothy, it's also a public letter intended for Timothy to take to the church and read. So, Timothy would have read this section on the job description of a pastor to his very own church. And the reason why I believe this is public should be read and taught not just to pastors but also to the church because 
not only should people in the pastorate have a healthy understanding of their role, but it's also important for the church. It's also important for the church to have a clear, healthy, biblical understanding of the pastorate. Now, without giving you examples or telling you real anecdotes, you as a church know very well the dangers of having unbiblical expectations of a pastor. If those expectations are too high, it will disappoint the church and it will crush the pastor. If the expectations are too low, God's intended purpose of preserving the purity of the gospel and the unity of the church will be lost. And so as this passage, as we go through this passage, we want to develop together a healthy understanding of the pastorate. And so to do that, uh, just three points I'd like to uh, share with you. The first is this. Um, the calling of a pastor as an expositor, not an executive. Second, I want to talk about the importance of character alongside charisma. And finally, uh, we as a church, we should be seeking progress over perfection. So the calling as expositor, not executive, uh, the importance of character alongside charisma, and the seeking of progress over perfection. And so first, let me begin with the calling as expositor, not executive. Let me just first lay out uh, the pastor's job is not that of an executive. It is not that of a director. A pastor's job is not that of even a spiritual guru. A pastor's job is not that of a CEO. Though a pastor is called to manage the household of God, as we saw in 1 Timothy 1, he manages the household by faithfully teaching and expositing the word. If I can just draw your attention to a few things in today's text, it says this, put these things before them. In other words, put these teachings before them, present it to them. Or verse 11, command these things. Or verse 13, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, devote yourself to exhortation, devote yourself to teaching. Now notice it says nothing about implementing new business models. It doesn't speak on organizing new plans for the church. It doesn't talk about delegating and promoting within the church. It says nothing about efficiency and effectiveness. Rather, as Paul lays out the job description of a pastor, it speaks to faithful expositing, to faithful teaching of the word. It speaks of bringing the word to the people, applying it. You know, just as a reminder, um, this week I looked up the definition for a pastor. And the first definition I got was this. What is a pastor? Well, it is thin shavings of spit-roasted pork marinated with guajillo chilies served on tortillas. <laughs> I thought, huh, 
This is an El Pastor, <laughs> a taco. The second definition I found was this. Simply, a person having spiritual care of a number of persons. A person having spiritual care over a number of persons. You know, a pastor is not a director or a manager or an acting boss. But according to the biblical understanding of pastor, a pastor is a caretaker of the soul. He is a servant akin to a nurse or a physician, caring, loving, and faithfully watching over the spiritual state and souls of the church. And I think this is important that we all understand this because, you know, presently we live in this very hyper-specialized world. And I think there's always a temptation on the part of the church or the pastor to see him or himself as a specialist. Often I find myself trying to be creative and innovative to try to be an expert and a professional in the field of the pastorate. You know, in the secular world, we know that leaders have to possess creativity or inventiveness. That's why leaders are hired. They are brought on because a company is lacking something, and they bring that person on so that he can bring something from the outside that the company is lacking and missing and implement that smoothly so that there would be incremental growth. Well, friends, a pastor's job is not that. A pastor's job, he's not called to bring something from the outside in. Rather, he is called to take that which is already inside the church, the Word of God, and teach it, to exhort the church with it, so that the church may walk in it. You know, if Jesus really is our everything, right? if Jesus is all that we need, if his gospel is enough, we must ask ourselves, do we really need an outside word? You know, I told you just a couple of minutes ago that um, it's not a letdown that God gave pastors to the church. It's not a letdown. And the reason why it's not a letdown is because Jesus' work is finished, and his word is sufficient. In other words, there is no need for something extra to be added. And the reason why the pastor's role is to teach is because Jesus already gave us everything we need. And so... While the pastorate is important and necessary, if we begin to make the pastor's roles determinative or decisive, if we elevate the role of a pastor, then we begin to diminish the role of Jesus. You see, because Jesus 
His work is finished and his word is sufficient. A pastor's role and job is in bringing this word to the people, to the church. Right? I often think of myself as a server, uh, as one who brings the food of Christ to the people. The word has nourishments. The word is what brings refreshment and satisfaction. The word is what brings healing. And my job is to simply bring this out and make sure that I don't trip and fall and spill it all over you. My job is to simply lay this before you so that you can eat and be refreshed. Now, while this is important and quite necessary, we must not elevate the role of a pastor because in so doing, we diminish the role and the finished work of Jesus. And so to be clear, the pastor, he is not a CEO or the director of the church. He is a prophet to the church. He is a prophet sent to the church, bringing the word of God to the people. And so if I can just say this, if ever you find in this church or in another church or wherever, if ever you find that the pastors are not spending time in the Word, but they're busy doing other things, whether it be meetings or other executive work, administrative work, then there is something off in the church's dynamic. John Piper, in his book, Brothers, we are not professionals, writes this. The professionalization of the ministry is a constant threat to the offense, to the offense of the gospel. It is a threat to the profoundly spiritual nature of our work. I have seen it often. The love of professionalism kills a man's belief that he is sent by God to save people from hell and to make them Christ-exalting spiritual aliens in the work. So a pastor is an expositor of the word that the church has received. He is not an executive. The second, the importance of character alongside charisma or gift. If you go through the passage, I want you to notice in his description of the pastor's job, Paul, he focuses most of his attention on what a pastor is supposed to be. Not what a pastor is supposed to do, but what he is supposed to be. Verse 6, if you look in your Bibles, he says this, be trained in the word of faith and doctrine. Verse 7, he speaks about being trained in godliness. Now, I really like this word train, be trained, because training is... Uh, you undergo training not so that you can necessarily do something or be better at something, but you undergo training so that you can become something, right? Isn't that the case? Right? One trains not just to do the things of an athlete, but he trains to become an athlete, right? One trains to become a soldier, not just do the things of a soldier, See, training entails a kind of transformation. The person undergoing the training doesn't just pick up tips and tricks, but the training that he or she undergoes becomes so ingrained in the individual 
that it becomes second nature. You see, Paul's point is that one cannot simply do the things of the pastorate. Instead, he must be trained so that he becomes a pastor. Or simply put, the character of the pastorate counts. It matters. The pastorate is um, one of those few or rare jobs where you cannot separate character from ability. For instance, those of you working know what this is like. You've probably seen it in your company or in your organization, where you know someone who is really good at their job, yet he or she has terrible character. I don't know, it, it might be you or someone you know, but you've seen this quite often, haven't you, right? Someone who is so skilled at his job, he or she has great ability, but just a rude and graceless person. Now, as long as that person isn't offensive and he doesn't destroy the workplace dynamic, as long as that person still has ability to carry out that job, right, companies don't terminate those people. Why? Because you can separate ability from character. As long as the person is able to do his job, despite his sour and bad and poor character, they can still continue on. Well, friends, not so the pastorate. According to Paul in 1 Timothy 4, character is of utmost importance. A pastor's job is not just merely telling people about faith, love, purity, but he is also called to set an example in these things. Verse 12, he is to set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. He ought to live these things out himself. And I know you've probably been a part of uh, workplaces and organizations, companies, where you didn't buy into the vision of that place. You were there merely, you know, for an internship or merely just to uh, make means ends or, or ends meet. You heard, you know, the, the vision statement or the mission statement and you didn't really buy in, but it's okay. You can still work there. But the pastor is one who is not just supposed to talk about these things, but he's to believe in them and live them out in his very own life. Now, I'm not saying that gifting and ability is not important. That's not what I'm saying. In fact, in verse 14, if you look, Paul tells Timothy, don't neglect the gift you have received. Don't neglect your gifting. Gifting is important. However, we must emphasize the importance of character alongside charisma. Now, I think this is an important point to make because how do we normally view a pastor and whether or not he is good at his job? It's mostly, if not solely, based upon his gifts, not his character. When a church calls a pastor, 
the biggest emphasis is on his ability, his gifting. When the church evaluates how a pastor is doing or how well he is doing, if he's doing his job, the focus is once again on ability. In fact, churches are often willing to overlook character flaws as long as the pastor is gifted. To be fair, it's not just the church, uh, but pastors themselves often care more about the development of their gifts and abilities than their development in godly character. If I can be honest, my mind is often more occupied with preaching Christ rather than putting on Christ. I'm more concerned about talking about Jesus rather than becoming like Jesus. You see, but the pastor's job is not just in bringing people closer to Jesus. He himself must draw near to Jesus. And this is why Paul says, watch not just your doctrine, but watch your life. Watch your life. Charles Spurgeon, who's known as the prince of all preachers, the man with the gifted tongue, he writes um, in his lecture to his students this on the importance of character. An ill life will effectively drown the voice of the most eloquent ministry. After all, our truest building must be performed with our hands. Our characters must be more persuasive than our speech. The importance of character alongside charisma. And finally, the third point as we uh, wind out this passage. For us as a church and Christians to seek progress over perfection. You know, it's no surprise that the church in Ephesus um, found Timothy to be with many flaws. Of course, Timothy wasn't Jesus. He wasn't even Paul. Timothy was imperfect in many, many ways. He was a very young guy in his mid to late 30s. He was young as a teacher, as an elder. Uh, he had physical ailments. He, he wasn't a healthy person. Now, Timothy wasn't the most charismatic of people. He was not fit for the church of Ephesus, a church in a robust, growing city. He wasn't the best person. Timothy was timid. He was scared. He was a quiet individual. And of course, the church found that, you know what? He's not a good fit for us. But the goal here is not perfection. The goal is not to find a perfect fit between the church and the pastor. But the goal, as laid out in verse 15, is progress. Look at with, with me to verse 15. He says this, Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Paul is saying this. You know, Timothy, when the church sees you, 
they should be thinking, well, Timothy, our pastor, he's a Christian too. He's a Christian growing in the faith and maturing in his ways. The church should be thinking, wow, Timothy, he's becoming better. He's getting better. He's progressing as a Christian, as a pastor. You see, the church should look upon the pastor not just as a saint called to bring the church to where he is, but they ought to see him as a Christian, growing, maturing, making progress as a preacher, expositor, and pastor. You know, it's a tremendous blessing for the church to watch the pastor grow and develop. And what a beautiful sight, seeing the church and the pastor mature together. It's a sign, a witness of God's faithfulness and Jesus' completed work. And so as we think about, upon this relationship between the pastor and the church, what we ought to be seeking is not perfection, but progress. We ought to continue to grow together and mature in the word. We are to seek progress together. Now, in the remaining few minutes that I have, I want to stop talking about the pastorate. Enough about the pastorate, and with the remaining time, let me just talk to you about the real shepherd, the great shepherd, Jesus. The truth of the matter is, even if the church has a healthy biblical understanding of the pastorate, and even if pastors understand their role in a biblical and healthy way, it is still inevitable that the church and the pastor will face disappointment throughout. Even if we have the right biblical understanding, yeah, sometimes it's inevitable that the church will be hurt by the pastor, the pastor will be hurt by the church, the church will be disappointed by the pastor, the pastor will be frustrated by the church. There's always going to be some sort of tension. But our hope, the hope that we have is not in some uh, right expectation of this relationship. But the hope that we have, as we find in verse 10, is on the living God and Christ himself, the pastor and the shepherd of the church. No Christian will ever show up Sunday morning and hear that the shepherd of the church is resigning. You might come to church one day and have the pastor resign, but you will never come show up on a Sunday to hear the shepherd, Christ himself, retiring or resigning. You might wake up one day and hear news of a pastor's moral failings, you might wake up one day and hear from other church members that the pastor is burnt out, that he can no longer carry on his job. 
You might find that the pastor, you, will, you might wake up one morning and hear bad news about a pastor and his family and the things that he's done. But you will never, you will never wake up on a morning and hear that Jesus has burnt out. You will never wake up on a morning and hear that Jesus is quitting. You will never wake up and hear that Jesus has failed. Jesus is the great shepherd of the church. And while we might face disappointment, dashed hopes, failed expectations, frustration on the part of the church and the part of the pastor, our great hope is that Jesus, our shepherd, he will not fail, that he will carry the church through and through till the end of the ages until he returns. And friends, this is the hope for the church. Not a perfect pastor, but a perfect Savior, Christ himself, who is head of the church. As so a church, as we continue to build upon foundations, as we continue to progress onward as a church, let us continue to set our hope upon Christ, who is the great shepherd of the church. Join me in prayer at this time.